Good morning. Hope you guys are doing okay. Hey, uh, we have an announcement. Uh, we don't often try to uh, throw um, false information out there, but we did it this week. Um, <clears throat> mainly because the House of Hope next week, we were hoping to have a uh, phone call with them and that you guys could participate in. But uh, the couple that we were going to be talking to, they actually are sick. And so they're not going to, um, and not just kind of mild, or I think their son is sick or something. There's sickness involved. And they're not going to be available next week. And so we're going to put that off a couple of weeks. So if you wanted to be a part of that, you have a couple more weeks to prepare. Look for the information of when that will be coming up and uh, we'll be giving you guys the heads up. But we wanted to try and do that every once in a while to tie in those uh, compassion initiatives with the actual people that are involved that you guys can get to know who some of these missionaries are, these people that we support that are doing God's work in some very kind of far-flung and distant places. So um, kind of put that a little bit on your calendar out there in the future and uh, keep, uh, I know that Pat will keep us informed on uh, when and where that's going to happen, okay? You all good with that? Great. Hey, uh, I want to start just by thanking all of you guys for being here this morning, whether you're here in person or whether you're online and joining us there. Um, there are so many things that we can do with our time. And if I'm not mistaken, if you guys are like me, you probably have a whole list of things that need to get done that you actually bring in here and it's kind of gnawing at you as you sit there and you're going, man, I could really use this time, but instead you've chosen to be here. I want to thank you for that because what that means is that you have chosen to invest in your own kind of spiritual walk and your spiritual development, your relationship with Jesus, and you've invested in uh, his, his people in this body called the church. And in that belief that we have been called to do something, we have been called to be a witness in this world of Jesus together, not just independently. And so thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, You know, we live in a world where uh, the ability to choose and the freedom to choose, that freedom of decision is is not so much seen as a a privilege as it really has come to be seen as a right, isn't it? We have the right to choose what we want to do with our time and with our energy. And what that means is that persuasion and invitation, I want you to remember those words, persuasion and invitation, those have become seen as the norm of how someone would usually try to convince someone to change either their direction, change a behavior, change their clothing, change is persuading them and inviting them because they have the right to decide. You know, that's why the war in, in Ukraine that's going on right now, why it strikes so, so many of us as kind of out of line, out of touch, really, with how civilized things should be done. Because we think, you know, if the Ukrainian people wanted to be Russian, they should have just asked them. And if they wanted to, they could have decided to be and not forced to be, because we think that freedom of decision, is, it's a right that they have. Now, those of us who follow Jesus, why that's important for us to take note of is because of how important, how central persuasion and invitation we know are to God's plan for salvation. God is one who has, he has the ability, right? He has the ability, he has the power to coerce us. He has the power to force things on us. He has the power to make us obey, to overwhelm us. He has the wisdom to be able to out 
to out-argue us, to confound us, to shut us down, to outmaneuver, to outgun us. He has the kind of the might, the majesty to be able to obliterate us, to annihilate us if he needed to, to just get us out of the picture. But instead, what does he choose to do? He chooses to invite us. He chooses to allow us to decide. And so we see also this, the importance of this freedom of decision, this freedom of choice. And so we need to understand that we need to understand that because if we wish to be part of what God is doing in this world, part of what he is trying to accomplish, we need to understand that he chooses to use and he calls us, he calls us to be a part of his, his activity to invite, his activity to persuade his activity to, to set out in front of people this picture that is so engaging and so compelling that they are drawn towards it rather than this idea to overpower and to force. Because in spite of um, some of the ways that we know that over history, this entity, this politicized entity that has called itself the church, we know that they've been involved in several and many activities actually over the years where they have forced this faith. They have, through by the power of the sword, have converted people to this faith. And we look at that, and we know that that, really, that has nothing to do with God's plan, God's work. God's work has always been accomplished through persuasion, through invitation, through compelling, through compassion and conversation. One of the places that we see this talked about is in our passage this morning. It's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. So if you'd stand with me, we're going to read this passage. Galatians 5, 15 through 25. 16 through 25. Let's listen to hear what God might have to say to us about these things today. Walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh says the desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. That is why you are not able to do the things that you wish to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not bound under a law, under the law of Moses he was talking about, but under any law. The works of the flesh are obvious, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, fighting, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, promiscuousness, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who make a practice of such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and lusts. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You know, living by the Spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those fruit that were listed, you know, those things sound very different from what we see as kind of the norm of what goes on in this earth, in, in this world, and often, and often that it's a little bit different than what we see going on in our own lives, amen, right? But those fruit of the Spirit, those are the things 
that God is at work. They are the things that show that God is at work. There is a power that is worked through the, at work through the Spirit that is very different than the power of this world. We need to know that because we are those who say that our desire is to know Jesus and to walk by his Spirit, not by the Spirit of this world. It's a very different power. It's a gentle power. The, the message this morning has been titled, Could It Be, Could it be a Gentle Power? Father, this morning, this morning we want to hear your voice. We want to not just hear what you have to say, not just take it into our ears, but not take it into our hearts. We want it to go down deep. And so we're asking that your spirit would do his work, that he would plant your word as a seed deeply into our heart, that, that even though we may not know how this happens, but that it would change everything that it would change how we see the world, our perspectives, it would change how we feel about things, about our circumstances, about our surroundings, that, Father, it would change our compulsions and our, our, the things that just compel us to act so that our actions would change. Father, we want to be transformed by the work of your Spirit, by the work of your Word, and the way that the Spirit uses that to just change us. We want to be transformed into the image of Jesus. We want people to see more of him than they do of us so that they might be drawn to you and they might be drawn also to this life that we have found in you. So Father, do your work now here in this place. Set this place apart as a holy place for you. We pray these things for your glory, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that gentle power. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Can you imagine if you were to go to a football game, right? Okay, so Ken, you ready for this sports illustration? Here we go, right? You go to a football game and instead, one of the teams, instead of fighting for every touchdown, instead of even trying to keep possession of the ball, they kept handing the ball over to the other team and helping them into the end zone, right? Can you imagine if that kind of attitude spread throughout football from peewees to professionals What we think, we think, well, that would make a much more gentle game of football, wouldn't it? Right? It wouldn't. That would be the end of football. That'd be the end of the game. That'd be the end of everything the game is about and what it stands for and how you play it. You know, sometimes when we begin to understand really what God is saying through his word and what he's trying to both speak to us through his word but also work in us through his spirit, we begin to see that God has... The same kind of idea for us in our lives. Not about football. He has nothing against football. But he has this idea in his life for us about our our lives, our whole life. And he starts talking to us about things like sin and injustice, hatred and violence, deceit, war, uh, oppression, fear in this world. And he says, you know what? If we would stop playing the game, it wouldn't just make for a gentler world. It would be the end of the game. It wouldn't be for a gentler life. It would be a completely different life if we would just stop playing that game. So what keeps us in it? I mean, that's that's the question we have to ask. Why why do we keep at this game? Why do we keep sinning? Why do we keep lying? Why Why do we continue to do so many of these things that were listed in this passage in Galatians, right? That That first list, the things of the flesh. Why do we find ourselves? I mean, listen to this list. We recognize some of these things because we do these things. 
I mean, it starts off in morality and purity, and some of us can avoid some of those, and we can say sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, don't do that. Hatred, fighting, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, promiscuousness, things like these. We go, oh, wait a second. Some of these are talking about me, right? Why do we stay involved? God tells us in his word that some of, there are several reasons that we stay involved. We stay engaged with these things. And a lot of them have to do with fear. I want you to think about this. We fear, don't we? We fear, we fear rejection by others. We fear rejection by others if we don't envy the things they envy. If we don't like the things they like, if we don't worship the things they worship, if we don't engage in the things that they engage in, if we don't support the factions that they support, if we don't choose to get as drunk as they want to get drunk, if we don't choose to sleep around as much as they want to sleep around, we fear that we're going to be rejected, don't we? We fear rejection. We fear that we're going to be controlled by others. We feel that we're not going to be able to say what we want to say or do what we want to do because they're going to have their thumb on us. And so we push back against them. We come at them in in relationships with others with with distrust, assuming the worst, that they're going to try and take control. And so we try and shut them down before they shut us down. We fear death. We fear that we're not going to have the time to get done or to experience the things that the guy next door or the gal next door get to experience and we have to kind of keep up and so we rush through life and we push through our agenda and we try and push others out of the way if they get in the way of it so that we can get the things done so that we can have the full experience of our lives. We fear death. We fear that death will come before we get to say what we need to say about how we feel and what we think. So we start talking louder and we start shutting down those who oppose us. We start developing factions that can fight and just shut the others down and and we can say what we need to say. But I think also one of the biggest ones is we fear, we fear that God might not actually be with us. We fear that he might not be for us. And so many times in our lives we go and we look for other gods to support us. We look for other powers other forces that will give us, be able to enforce those things that we want done, enforce our will. So why do we engage in those, those things that are listed up there in, in Galatians 5? It's because we're afraid. We fear things. And that's the game. That's the game that we play in this world. And that's, that's why we participate. We participate in this game because we don't truly sometimes believe that God has something better. That what God offers is actually a better way to live life. We say, how can, how can we win the game if we're constantly giving the ball away? Right? How can, how can I get ahead if I'm not pushing hard for that, for that goal line? More practically, it sounds like how can... How can I make sure that that person learns that lesson that they need to learn if I'm constantly forgiving them? Right? Anybody had that thought before? I'm looking out there. You guys are looking at me like, I've never heard that. I've never thought that, right? How can I make sure that person learns their lesson if I let them off the hook with forgiveness? Like Jesus says. How can I possibly take care of my needs 
if I'm constantly giving my, way, my things away, my stuff away, to take care of the needs of others. We're not sure that God really has a better plan. But then God comes and he asks us a pretty simple question. He says, why is it that you believe or have you ever thought to consider that maybe that's a game that I never intended you to win at? I never intended you to play that game. His intent, the life that he had for us, that he created us for, and he created, us, created for us, is completely different than the game that we see being played all around us in this world. Galatians 5, it says that in opposition to that way of living, God gives his spirit. His spirit, who comes to live in us and through us, you know, at one point, uh, while they were following Jesus, two of Jesus' disciples, it was James and John, and they came to Jesus. They said, Jesus, do you want us to call fire out of heaven to take care of some of these people that are kind of standing in your way? And Jesus, in Luke 9, 55 and 56, he, it, it says this. It says, Jesus turned and he rebuked them, and he said this. You do not know what kind of spirit you are from. You don't know what kind of spirit you're speaking out of. As the Son of Man did not come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. You don't know what kind of spirit you're from. I, I think that's a rebuke that many times can come to us because God's spirit is not the only spirit that we can follow, right? We can follow the, the spirit of this world. We can follow the spirit of this age. We can follow many demonic spirits that are opposed to God and all that he stands for, all that he is doing. We can follow our own fearful spirit in this world. But God says in opposition to that stands his Holy Spirit. He says his Holy Spirit comes to lead us and lead us into a different kind of life. Instead of a life that seeks to crush and get their own way and make sure that we're taken care of, he is a spirit. God's spirit brings us this different set of foundations, a different set of priorities and perspectives that he tells us that now we are called to live by. You know, in history, we see that God's people have at times lost their way. We as the church of Jesus Christ have lost our way. And when we worst, one of the worst wanderings that we've ever done is when we decided to become a church of conquest, a church of crusades, a church of violence, a church of force, rather than this church of compassion and a church of conversation, this church of invitation and persuasion that God had called us to be. You know, early in the church history for the first three centuries, the church was winning the battle. They were being uh, crucified in Nero's gardens. They were being set on fire. They were being thrown to the wild animals and killed in, in many different ways. They were being martyred. They were being persecuted and oppressed. And they did not fight back. And yet by the time that Constantine got to, to his uh, seat of power, the throne as the emperor of the, of the um, Roman Empire, he... he he didn't really become a Christian. He acknowledged that Christianity needed to be the official religion of the Roman Empire. You know why? Not because he had become so convinced of Jesus, but because the Christians had basically taken over the empire by the way that they served and they loved and they showed compassion. They had so drawn so many in that Constantine knew, I need that voting block if I'm going to rule. 
I need to make this the, the official religion of the Roman Empire. But when we made that joint, when we said, we joined forces and we said, okay, now we have political power, we'll start using that. That's when we started wandering. We became this church of coercion rather than this church of persuasion. This church whose testimony drew people into the kingdom of heaven. Galatians 6 says that the fruit of the spirit, now what is the fruit of the spirit? The fruit of the spirit means those things by, that, are, that become evident, that are evident that the spirit is present. The spirit of God is, is present. It's like a pear tree brings forth pears and you look at those and you go, well, that's a pear tree. A grapevine brings grapes. You go, that's a grapevine. The spirit of God brings fruit and you look at those fruit and you know that's the spirit of God. Now, the other thing about these fruit, it doesn't say a bunch of fruits. It's not plural. There's one fruit. There's nine things listed, but all of them are the fruit. It's not that you take some of them, you see some of them and not others. These are all what comes forth from, the, from a life that is completely filled with, completely submitted to, surrendered to the work of the Spirit and the work of God through that life. So what is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is... The one fruit of the Spirit is love. Love. What do, what do we mean by love? Love, um, love is that, that awareness that you have. That It starts with this awareness that the God of the universe loves you without end, without interruption, eternally. And that out of that awareness and that confidence that this God will never stop loving you, you, you realize that I can turn my concern for myself to a concern for others and start loving them in that same way. I can start loving them over even, so I don't think about my needs first, I can start thinking about them because I know the God of the universe already loves me. I can start showing that concern so they can have a taste of and they can be drawn to the same kind of love. Love is also that work, that transformation that happens as we start aligning every thought and every action to, to line up with that, that work of love that is being done in us. That's what love is. We see that God completely just changes, overhauls everything about us so that everything within us aligns to this love, showing love towards others, showing our love towards this God who has loved us with such a deep love. That's love. For the Spirit is love, but... With that love is also joy. Now joy, joy isn't just like a happiness, a contentment with the present circumstances. We know it's not that, right? Because who loves the circumstances that you're in all the time? Rather, joy is this indescribable, just welling up from inside of this excitement, this contentment, this, this, um, this joy, this rejoicing, this exulting in not the present circumstances that surround you, but rather this favor that you have with God, this connection, this satisfaction, this assurance that you have that God always has you, always holds you, that nothing that happens in this world can ever come against what you have gained in him or take away anything from you. Even as you're surrounded by this, this chaos that happens in this warring and this fighting and this that happens within this world. Joy is that thing that, that actually transcends all your circumstances. It fills your situations from the inside out instead of looking for the satisfaction from the outside in. We get happy when things are good. We are joyful because we belong to God. 
Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. Peace, not just that external, not fighting, you know, not just that external lack of war, but this peace within even, you know, even within that everything is settled. This peace, it says, a peace that goes beyond comprehension, this peace that goes beyond explanation. And a peace that allows you, that is so settled, it allows you this peace with God that, that has this hope anchored to it for eternity that allows you to then say, you know what? A peace that goes beyond this age that even while the, the world wars and plays this crazy game of, of conquest and a peace that says, you know what? I can risk everything. I'm not going to lose anything. I'm, I'm settled. I, I can risk everything in order to make this peace known and available to someone else. I can take whatever chance I need to to make sure that this kind of peace is seen and, and felt and, and known in the lives of others so they might know this peace because ultimately that is the peace that will end this, this game of the world, this game of, of fear and of hatred and of war destruction love joy peace patience in greek you know the word patience i want you guys to hear this this is one of my favorite words i had a guy that um i was talking about this and and they actually they took this word and they inscribed it on the inside of their of their wedding rings which i thought was awesome because of what this word means patience (laughs) you you go patience well that makes sense right um patience in Greek, this word is macrothumia. Macro means long. Thumia is like if you think of a volcano. It's an explosive thing that happens, right? Some people act towards you in a certain way, and, and a volcano goes off, doesn't it? Right? It just like blows up in you. And that thumos, that thumia, that was seen as, it was like this explosion of anger that can happen that can just pop out at somebody. Somebody acts towards you, and you just respond. Macrothumia is you take all of that energy, instead of just letting it explode, that'd be that destructive explosion, instead you make this very constructive effort that stretches over time. You take all that energy and you stretch it out over time, and instead of directing, you still direct it at the person, but in very intentional ways, so that for their best, for their good, instead of for their demise. That's patience. You ever thought of patience that way? Patience is taking all that energy and just, okay, I'll stretch this out over the next 20 years. And I'm going to do good. It's going to change them. That's God's patience, isn't it? Have you ever known that patience? I have. That's God's patience. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness, doing the good that is helpful even when it's completely undeserved. Goodness, doing only those things that are truly good for that person in that person's life. Faithfulness, relentlessly pursuing that good for that person's life. Pursuing only those things that come out of our faith, out of our following Jesus. Gentleness. Love this one too. Using God's unlimited power. God has made available to you his unlimited power. Gentleness, but constraining that power by that love so that that power is used for that person's good. That, that unlimited power of God. So not calling fire out of heaven to consume. Right? Instead, in the patience of God, in the goodness of God, 
working to see that person know the peace of God. Gentleness and self-control. Self-control, the ability to exercise complete control (laughs) over every aspect of your life. Wouldn't that be nice, right? Wouldn't that be nice? Control over your speech, control over your actions, control intent in your decisions, purpose in, your, in every thought, every, every choice you make. The certainty that God is working in you and through you. And he's making himself known through you. You know, if, if we were to take and see these fruit of the spirit, if these were the things that characterized our lives, that would not just be, that would not just make for a gentler game in this world, would it? That would be the end of the game be the end of the game. And God has come to undo that thing. So you say, what does it mean? What, what does it look like? How do we live by God's spirit? How do we live in a way that the fruit of the spirit are known through our lives? First, first it's this. Fruit of the spirit, for the fruit of the spirit to be in us, the spirit has to be in us, right? For the fruit of the spirit to be in us, the spirit has to be in us. God says his spirit is made available to us that when, we, when Jesus Christ comes into our life, when we receive him, when we surrender our lives, we talked about this last week, surrender our lives to him, we lay them down, and when we take up his life instead, he says his spirit comes and dwells in us. In fact, he summarizes that gift that he has given us of eternal life. He says the spirit is like this down payment of all that is to come. He is that first, that first taste of this life that God has, has made available and the fullness of it that is to come. But the Holy Spirit summarizes all these things. So when we reach out to God, this gift, and, and we lay down everything about our lives, we take up, he, he says we lay down all of that old that was us. And instead... He says that he, we take up his life. We take up the Holy Spirit. We are filled with him. But, but that's the first step. I said that last week. It's always the first step, isn't it? How do, we, how do we live the life of the Spirit? Well, do you know Jesus, right? Have you laid your life down to him? Have you given your life over to him so that he might live through you? Because he says when we do that, we have the Holy Spirit. So receive Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. That's when his fruit can be seen. His fruit. Not just our attempts at being loving or joyful or peaceful. His fruit, the fullness of him, can be seen in you when we lay down our lives and give it to him. First step. Second is this, though. For the fruit of the Spirit to be present, we can't be resisting the Spirit. How many times do we, we receive Jesus, right? Because um, some of us may have received Jesus back in the day because we're afraid we're going to go to hell. And I don't want to go to hell, so I'll accept Jesus. But I'm not sure I want to live that life that he's calling me to live, right? Not sure about that. So we resist. We might have Jesus. and We might even have, we might have the spirit who's been given to us. But the Bible says we can shut him down. We can grieve him. By our actions, we can resist him with our will. We can keep living the same way we lived before we even knew Jesus. Did you know that? Because again, God God is not a God of coercion, a God of force. He is a God of invitation and persuasion. He has given us this life, but he's not even going to force us to live that life once we have it. And so many times, what do we find? Instead of the fruit of the Spirit, we find the fruit of our own resistance, don't we? 
We find continued frustration and anger at God because he doesn't do the things we want him to do. And we find anxiety and, and continued fear in this world. The fear of rejection and the fear of death and all that. That's still there. And we go, what was going on? Why do I still experience this life as if I didn't have the spirit? It's because you're resisting the spirit. Right? So to have the spirit, we have to have Jesus. I mean, that's the first step. Second is we can't be resisted um, to have the spirit have the fruit of the spirit we can't be we have to have jesus second is we can't be resisting the spirit third part is this so the first part was kind of the negative don't resist them second part you know this last piece is the positive and it's this for the fruit of the spirit to be present the spirit has to be followed right the the last words of this this passage that we read in galatians it says um, so if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Those words that are translated, walk by the Spirit, is it's actually a word that means we, we need to align ourselves with the Spirit. We need to fall in line behind the Spirit. Okay? Because if we're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, we need to line up with what, what he is doing, what he's about. So how do we get aligned with, with God? How do we get aligned with his spirit? Well, last week we found this out too. We can't do it on our own. We can't even do that work. We, the one thing that God, that God asked us to do in this, in this whole venture with him, he, he says we will do nothing in our own strength. We will do nothing right in our own wisdom. We'll do, so it's not that we go and we say, well, I need to figure out what God means by loving and what God means by joyful and God, and I need to work hard to do those things now because that's the fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> fruit comes from a thing producing something on its own, right? The Spirit produces these things in our lives. We don't produce these things for the Spirit. Having begun in the Spirit, we don't continue by our own efforts. You guys know that? We merely follow him. We merely accept what he's offered. Now, one of the things that that means is that we need to to lay down even that idea that somehow I'm going to impress God now that I have the spirit. I'm going to use that power to get done for God what he wants me to get done, right? I need to put that on the altar too. That needs to die. That idea that I, by my effort, by my, my will, by my strength, I'm going to somehow get done for God something. He says, no, lay that down too. Get yourself out of the way. Aligning yourself with the Spirit (laughs) means that you align yourself with the work that God wants to get in you, which is, I have to come to God. You guys, this is tough. But we have to come to God and say, God, I realize that I have to come in complete trust and faith in you. That your one desire for me, you're, you're wanting to save me. I want to save myself, but I don't know how. You want to save me, so I have to trust that you're going to do that. So if I give you everything, and, and even that piece that I think is the me that's giving the everything, that got to go too, right? Everything. Now lay it down on this altar and I say, just get rid of anything that goes in your way. Knowing this, knowing this, everything in me deserves to go, doesn't it? Everything in me. If God just judged the whole world, wiped us all out, and we all ended up, you know, people don't like this image, but we all end up in hell just forever, right? They don't like that, but if that's what happened, God would be completely justified. I'm, I'm broken. I'm a mess. There is nothing 
salvageable from my perspective in me. But I give myself to God because God said, you know what, the one thing I want to do is save you. I'm like, I don't even know how that'll happen. So here's everything. I'm not going to even get my, my fingers are not going to be in this one. This is going to be the fruit of your spirit. It's going to be the fruit of nothing because I'm done, right? That is surrender to Jesus. When we give him everything, he says, he then aligns us to his spirit. Amen? He starts working in us, in, in us something that we couldn't do on our own. He starts making us more like Jesus. I couldn't make myself like Jesus, but he starts doing it. So he says, receive this gift, right? To get the spirit, you got to get Jesus. You got to have him. Don't resist what I'm doing. In fact, get aligned to what I'm doing. Fall in line behind what I'm doing. And this is what Jesus said to the disciples, wasn't it? Come follow me. Not by your own effort. <laughs> Let me carry you. Let me do this work in you so that you can become the person that I always intended for you to be. Don't hang on to any of it. Don't try and hold back. Don't come defending yourself to God saying, I want to keep this, this, and that. Don't do that. Say, here's all of it. Align me with you. Because you guys, when God starts working in us, he doesn't just make for a gentler world. He creates a new one. Amen? Amen?